Hey, welcome back to Let's Talk About It with Jackie and Megan. Where we like to talk about things that are messy, awkward, hard, or controversial and create a space for healing. Today, we're interviewing Emily Fraze, who is the face behind the Total Wine blog and Instagram page, a place where Catholics can talk about the hard stuff of living out a faithful expression of sex and marriage with straight up honesty, zero judgment, and a healthy dose of humor. She also helps women understand the basics of fertility awareness through her nonprofit fan base, co-founded with Mary Bruno, and empowers them to choose the method that would best suit their lifestyle and fertility needs. This was such a great conversation and very needed and important, and so we hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Um, I I found you through Instagram, Catholic Instagram, it's just where I am. Uh, and I was really happy to find your account because I'm a single, well, I have a boyfriend, but I'm not married or anything. So I'm not trying actively to use NFP. Um, but I find that I, I just feel like what I've heard about NFP is that it's so great. It's so easy. Um, <laughs> it makes your marriage so much stronger and you communicate better. And anyone that complains about it is just, um, I'm not holy enough. Or so I don't know. Like they just, they're not doing no. it. Right, we, we Catholics, we, we Catholics were like, yeah. you know what? Suffering is good. You're supposed yeah. to like it. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm not a masochist. <laughs> so no, <laughs> I do not recall anywhere in scripture, any gospel writer recording that Jesus was having the time of his life as he climbed Calvary. Just, I think they missed that part. You know, I think he fell several times. Um, he was bleeding profusely. He was crying out that he was abandoned. You know, I mean, like he, w- he wasn't enjoying himself and he knew what he was doing. So yeah. how are we supposed to be any different? If we're supposed to be Christ-like, I think I get to cry when I hurt. Amen. <laughs> <That's a good laughs> word. Yeah. Well, that's why your account was so refreshing because you, I mean, you mm-hmm. still are doing NFP and you do talk about know the good parts of nfp and how to do nfp well but you talk about how it can be really difficult um yeah so we'll definitely get into that in this podcast but before we get started can you just tell us a little bit about yourself yeah uh all right so the truncated version here yeah (laughs) um well yeah so i'm i'm originally from south louisiana and i bring that up because next week is mardi gras and i no longer live in south louisiana and at this time of year like that's rough like i get really homesick this time of year for like jambalaya and parades and king cake good king cake um yeah so um yeah. So born and raised there. I've been out in Northern Virginia, met my husband who's from Wisconsin working in DC. We have three kiddos, Evelyn, Thomas, and Dominic. Um, all three surprises, NFP surprises. Uh, the first two were definitely surprises when we were trying to avoid. And then um, our youngest, we had like a year and a half of infertility and then I got pregnant with him and we don't have any explanation for the year and a half of why nothing happened. So yeah, so my, I'm just, I'm all over the place. Um, yeah. So I just, uh, after I found out I was pregnant with, uh, my second child, I was like, you know what? Nobody is talking about NFP in an honest way. I was struggling. Like I, it was, it was a very dark time spiritually. It was, um, I literally felt abandoned by God. I felt abandoned by a lot of people during that period of time, because exactly what you were talking about, Jackie, like there's just no space to talk about the struggle. It's like, you're supposed to, you're just supposed to be happy that you're suffering. And I'm like, well, I'm not, (laughs) and it feels wrong that I should be. 
And there's no space for me to talk about these difficult things. There was no resources to learn about what different methods were available and which one would be the best for me. And, and then when I was struggling, where do I go to talk about this? So it, there was just absolutely no space. And so ultimately that was what I did with Total Wine kind of accidentally is I wanted to create this space where we could talk about these types of things. Um, and I did it short. I started Total Wine shortly after I left um, my jobs to, to, to stay home with my daughter, my oldest daughter, because um, I was bored. Yeah. <laughs> Babies are great, but I was so bored because uh, she she napped fantastically and I was stuck at home and I was I'm an extrovert and I'm a sanguine. I'm like, I need people. Um, and so that was started to kind of fill that intellectual void. Um, and then one thing led to another and then, um, yeah, I started collaborating with a lot of people on Instagram, kind of like you have, like you meet people and, um, started doing, uh, collaborative writing projects and just really found my niche and had a lot of fun with it and realized that there was a huge need that this wasn't just me who was like, I need a space that this is actually like, everybody needs this. Um, so when I started talking about it, it was almost like starting the NFP me too movement, you know, cause it's like, as soon as I started saying that I struggled with this, everybody was like, me too. And why is nobody talking about this? And I was like, well, I will talk about it ad nauseum. I have no problem with this. Um, so yeah, that's, I guess the story of everything. And then of course that, uh, led to me meeting my, um, my colleague and friend, Mary Bruno, and we co-founded a uh, fan base in 2020. So that was actually a really good year for us. Um, <laughs> there was some good things that happened in 2020. There was there was a pro to everything going online for some people. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of it in a nutshell. I know that was all over the place, but there it is. Oh, I, yeah, I think was... it's such a needed uh, space to have. So I, I'm not personally Catholic. I'm Protestant evangelical. Um, so Jackie and I have kind of talked about like our differences growing up with this conversation. And for me, because birth control isn't like something that a lot of my peers like are morally against, a lot of the times they'll choose NFP just for like health reasons. Like, oh, I've had side effects with birth control, or I didn't like how it made me feel, or um, just different things like that. And it was the like stereotype was like if someone was like oh I'm gonna try NFP it was like oh so you're gonna be pregnant in like a month <laughs> so mm -hmm. what was your experience or kind of interaction with NFP um and your yeah you're kind of uh growing up with it learning about it in marriage prep what was your interaction with it yeah so first of all fun fact my husband and I met at an evangelical organization where we worked in DC um oh, okay. so I and and I'm very familiar with all of that language and actually I have some really good friends that um uh that I met through that that are still friends one friend in particular she's been on birth control her whole life she actually came off um and started using NFP because she was so when she came off to try to uh get pregnant um, she realized that she was a totally different person coming off of birth control. And so, uh, she didn't want to go, she actually went back on after having her son and was like, I feel awful. I don't want to touch this ever again. Um, and she came to me with some trepidation because at this point I had both of my surprises and she was like, so can you tell me about fertility awareness? I'm yeah. very scared, <laughs> but tell me about it. <laughs> She's like, there's gotta be something else. Um, 
Yeah. So that's, yeah. So that's been a journey for her, but I, and I love that you guys are here in this space from two different faith backgrounds, having these conversations. We need so much more of this across the board. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. So my, to answer your question, my background. Um, so I, I don't really recall growing up with like some kind of great knowledge about NFP. Um, my mom used it, but it wasn't really like a topic of conversation. I think the, the most, that I really knew about it was kind of, um, tracking my periods. That was about it. Um, so basically my first introduction to everything in depth was marriage prep, which is 99% of us Catholics. If we're, if we're going to hear about it, it's going to be in marriage prep. And, um, the only class that was offered was the symptothermal through couple to couple league, which is the case for a lot of people. Um, and they, I, I will give them this, like we actually did three, three hour long sessions, both my husband and I, like during our, the engagement process, we had to do this whole thing to satisfy the requirement. Um, and even that. With my cycle length, we were looking at two weeks. Um, and so nobody was, you know, when, when that, when I hit that reality in our marriage of like, okay, so now we can have sex, but now there's two weeks of abstinence. Nobody prepared me for this. Mm. I thought I was doing it wrong because everybody was like, oh, it's only going to be six days and then honeymoon effect. And I'm, you know, and after I went on my honeymoon, I was like, I don't want to be having sex like that again. <laughs> like we were learning. <laughs> like that was beautiful for what it was, but we're growing and I don't want to go back to that anyway. Um, yeah, so it was, it was just this, I just sunshine and rainbows pitch that, you know, if you do this, it's going to give you the most sex and the best sex, and you'll be able to perfectly plan your family. So you can, Mm. you know, knowing my story, it's like, okay, well, we weren't having that much sex. Uh, we weren't having great sex because there was, I mean, you know, there was no opportunity to talk about like, okay, well, what are the logistics? Like, how does this work? Did it, how do we figure this out for ourselves? Um, you know, and nobody wants to go Google this stuff because I don't really want to find what's on Google. Um, it brings up everything. Um, and then of course we got pregnant with our first surprise three months into marriage. Um, it was kind of a little bit of a joke because we said we wanted to wait a year before trying and she was born 10 or nine days before our first anniversary. And I was like, okay, God, um, not exactly what we meant by a year, but clever loophole. Um, and yeah, so that was kind of my experience with it. And then she was born via C-section. And so we wanted to try to wait again. I had some friends who had used Creighton. And so we switched to Creighton for postpartum, which ended up being the worst decision for me because it's mucus only. And when you're postpartum and breastfeeding, your mucus is for some women can just be whack-a-mamey. Some women it's great. Like they're just dry the whole time and it's fantastic. Other women like me, it's the wild west. And, um, yeah, so that I ended up pregnant with our second surprise seven months after having our first. So automatic repeat C-section turns out both my C-sections were traumatic. My second pregnancy was traumatic. I didn't realize this till five years later, you know, so it was, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. There was so little, it was just here. We're just going to give you this one little thing in marriage prep and then have fun kids. And there will be no follow-up support. There will be no, Mm. um, just baseline understanding that like, Hey, it's normal 
to pick different methods over the course of your fertility. And by the way, here's your options and here's resources where you can go to figure out what's best for you. And right. hey, we're offering this in the diocese, but if this is not what you want, here's some other places you can go. Just like give us a letter that you did this, whatever. You know, nothing like that. And it was so frustrating to be in the middle of this and just feel like I was drowning and I was suffocating because I was being faithful. You know, mm. like that was the big sting was just, I was faithful and nothing was going right. And there was no space for me to talk about it. And mm -hmm. so that was, yeah, I, I basically had like a crisis of faith. At one point I looked at Jesus and I was just like, what the heck is the point of being faithful if this is what I get? Why, yeah. why should I do this if it's just gonna be pain? And that I'm, I'm kind of still unpacking everything that happened during that period. I think I'll probably be unpacking it for the rest of my life, but yeah, it's just, when you don't have the space, when you just feel squeezed and constricted, you don't have the freedom to actually explore and practice yeah. what this lifestyle really entails and, and thinking about it as a lifestyle. It's not just like something that's relegated to your bedroom. No, it permeates everything. And we just don't, we don't talk about it that way. And so it, it kind of handicaps a lot of people, myself included anyway. Yeah, I think that's a I sentiment mean, a lot I, of people can relate yeah. to, like yeah. feeling like you're being punished for being faithful. So thanks mm -hmm. for saying that because, yeah, I I know I've been there. <laughs> we've all been, if we're honest, we've all been there. We just don't think that it's okay to admit it. And I, I just want to tell everybody it's okay to admit it. The thing that I always like to remind people is Israel means to wrestle with God. And Israel is the name for God's chosen people. So if we are God's chosen people, we wrestle with him. We question him. We have doubts and we bring them to him. Explain this to me. God. But I, I can't think of a more beautiful prayer than just going to God and be like, I don't understand you. Because uh, you, number one, you're recognizing his omniscience. And number two, you're recognizing your creaturehood. I don't understand you, God. That's humility. Like that's a beautiful place to approach from which to approach God. Mm -hmm. I love that Israel is to wrestle with God. I think I've, I've definitely, I know that, but it's not something that was at the forefront of my mind. And it's so mm -hmm. good to remember. I was just recently like talking with a friend that's really, really struggling in their faith. Um, just wondering like, why does God let this happen? Why does God let this happen? And I was like, I don't know, but it's okay to go to him and be angry about it and wrestle with him and to admit, like, I don't understand you and I don't know what you're doing. Um, it's all throughout the Bible. Like David did that all the time in the Psalms. Um, and it is a kind of prayer to go to God and be angry with him. And it shows that you actually do care because if you didn't, you would just kind of be apathetic and be like, well, I'm done with this. I don't really care. And I'm not going to talk to you about it, but to actually go to God and wrestle shows that you do still like want to have faith and still do care. So well, it's a yeah. huge, it's a huge expression of vulnerability yeah. to be angry with God. I am going to yeah. show you the full range and power of my own emotion. And I trust that you can receive it. That's yeah. what getting angry at God is about. And we're giving God our anger. And he's like, thank you. Now I can do something with this. I can't do anything with you if you don't give it to me. If you hold on to your anger, there's nothing I can do. But when you give me your anger by getting angry at me, now I can go to work. And we just don't think about it that way. And it's not talked about that way. But when you actually practice it, it's like, oh, okay. Oh yeah, he's God, right? If he can't handle my anger, he's not God. Yeah. Just not Plus God. he already knows. It's not like <laughs> right. we're hiding it from him. <laughs> he's not like, excuse me? 
you're angry with me you're mad about this oh no finally she's telling me I've been waiting for this thank you yeah well thank you so much for sharing your story with NFP because I think so many people are afraid um to talk about it at all Uh, I just, I know there's a few people I follow on Instagram and we actually did an episode on social media. That was like our very first episode this season. Um, And it's just so difficult to see people put up this filtered version of NFP or talk about how it's just so amazing and so great. And it's frustrating for me, even as a single woman that's not married yet, um, that's not having sex and not trying to practice NFP, just to see that because I'm like, okay, is this like, is this really just what it's going to be? It's going to be so perfect and it's not going to be difficult. It scares me, even as someone that's not. So all these people are like, oh, just trust God. It's so easy. Um, So it was (laughs) to read your story because I, um, even just as a single one, I'm like, that terrifies me. (laughs) Like I want to stay faithful as a Catholic woman to the teaching, but Mm -hmm. I'm terrified. And is it okay that I'm scared? (laughs) And like, yeah, give women permission that it's okay to be scared and to trust God in that way. Well, the, the thing is, is like, you know, in the gospels, when Jesus was saying, do not be afraid, he was not saying, do not experience the emotion of fear. Yeah. That our emotions are information, right? He has given us these emotions to help navigate this world. Like, think about it. This is fear is the reason why you don't go walking through a back alley at night, right? Alone without your car keys in your hand. Okay. Like that, it's like this is it keeps you safe. So it's not don't experience the emotion of fear. It's no, get curious about your fear. What are those fears? And don't let fear have the last word. Don't let fear have a dick a dictatorship over how you live your life yeah understand that fear is is an important valuable emotion right like it it helps to to keep us safe to keep us alive right um but always question it like what what is yeah not to live under the motivation of fear is what he's saying yeah um so you kind of talked about like your difficulty you had two at the beginning of your marriage two unplanned pregnancies that you weren't you didn't want to get pregnant with NFP. Um, and I think a lot of people, and I do know people and not judging them at all that end up giving up on NFP mm-hmm. um, because it's just not working for them. Yep. What yep. helped you find the right method um, along the way and I guess stay faithful to the church teaching and not decide to start using birth control and to keep using NFP? Uh, Catholic guilt. <laughs> I get that. Um, <laughs> Just, just being honest. Um, no, after we found out that we were pregnant with our second surprise, I was like, this is bogus. We have been lied to because we were literally, we, the way that NFP was pitched in marriage prep was basically it is Catholic contraception. Those were not the expressed express words used, but that was essentially how it was pitched. Well, clearly that's not what the result was, right? We could not control our fertility. We could not control the plan of our family. So I was like, well, this is bogus. I am having serious issues. I've had two C-sections, right? Like automatically I have a limit on my family size because there's really only so many surgeries that are safe. Now I know that there is exceptions to this rule, but they are exceptions. I'm not considering myself the exception Um, because I don't know my body. I don't know how these surgeries go. So there's a limit on my family size. Well, I'm using this method that clearly doesn't work. Okay. And I have very serious reasons to need to avoid at this point. And these reasons will only go up the more children we have. 
Right. Um, and so that was super frustrating. And my husband and I, we were this close to using condoms. Um, I, I never wanted to touch hormonal birth control with a 10 foot pole. Cause I knew that that was just nasty stuff. Just, I don't need my face to be like, I don't want hormonal birth control, but condoms. I was like, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? And ultimately it was just like, I know it's a mortal sin for me to use contraception, any kind of contraception. So it was the Catholic guilt it was just like, okay, either I can have guilty sex, which sounds terrible. So I would just prefer to not have guilty sex and have less good sex. And ultimately over time, that begrudging obedience has actually produced like, now I get it. It's mm. taken seven years, <laughs> but now I get it. Now I understand the wisdom and the reason for these teachings because I, I see the fruit of it in my marriage. I have had to have conversations with my husband. I have had to, I have had to understand myself. Like it has revealed things about myself, my own motivations, my own issues. Like it has brought so much to the surface, which is so overwhelming. And this is where there needs to be space to process everything. Yeah. Because when you practice this lifestyle, it is going to bring your selfishness and all of your weaknesses right up to the top. And that is a very uncomfortable place to be. It's so uncomfortable. It's just like, oh, I don't, I don't want any of that. Like, just give me a pill. Give me like, just give me a rubber so that I can just put that away. You know, like, I don't want to deal with that. Um, but that's the whole point of marriage. That's the whole point of marriage. I know people get really freaked out when they're like, well, you can be selfish in marriage. You can be selfish anywhere. You can be selfish at any time. The point of marriage is that it brings your selfishness into laser focus. It brings it to the light. And once you bring it to the light, now you can do something with it. It's not bad to discover that you're selfish in marriage. That's marriage working as it was designed. And, mm -hmm. and NFP as, as a kind of a microcosm of that as well. Bringing your selfishness, your weaknesses to the forefront so that you can deal with it. Because otherwise it just stays a pile of crap hidden. Um, but what helped me find the right method, uh, was just word of mouth from friends. Um, after our second surprise, um, I found out that a lot of my friends had switched to the Marquette method. So after our second was born, we switched to Marquette and it was just, it was, it was this, my stress level just plummeted because all I had to do was pee on a stick, stick it in a monitor. This monitor tells me when I can have sex or not, not me. I'm not the one who's making this determination. And so it was like, I have a scapegoat. This is great. Like both of my husband and I can just be mad at this computer instead of me feeling like I'm the gatekeeper. Like I will take this. Thank you. So it just took this huge mental load off, um, mm. when I switched to Marquette. Um, so that's why, you know, I loved that. Um, and, and the thing that I had to learn over time, and this is something that my, <clears throat> my friend Mary taught me, cause she's a Creighton practitioner, used Creighton to help identify her health issues. I had serious issues with Creighton for obvious reasons after everything that happened, um, and symptothermal. And what I discovered through talking with her and talking with other women, like I would hear other women be like, Oh, I love symptothermal. And I was like, are you nuts? Or I love Creighton. And I was like, are you insane? And then I realized I was like, wait, whoa, whoa, no, 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 no. Like that's their experience. And it's perfectly valid. Like there is no such thing as a best method for every woman that the beautiful thing about fertility awareness is that we actually have options, which is totally different from birth control with birth control. It's just, um, which method would you like to shut your cycle down with? That's your option. But with fertility awareness. It's like, no, how 
will you best learn to understand your body? What method would help you understand your body in the best way? And that covers so many different factors, lifestyle, marriage, um, whether you're trying to conceive or trying to avoid what your personality type is. I know some people who switched to Marquette for postpartum and they were like, I don't like having this computer tell me what to do. And I'm like, oh, see, I love that. You know, so it's just really interesting. You start to hear different women's experiences and realize, and that's what we try to do with fan base. Like that's our whole like underpinning of our mission is that there is no such thing as a best method. It's the best method for you. And so just trying to figure out, providing the space and providing the resources for, for women to actually be able to figure that out, recognizing that this is a complicated decision, that you may make the right decision at one point in your life, in your marriage, um, and that you may have to switch later. And just kind of just building in, normalizing these things um, as we talk about it. So, yeah. I think that's such an important thing to point out that, you know, fertility awareness, because each of us have different bodies. We each have different cycles. Like we're each different people. There, there can't just be a one size fit all solution. Um, and I feel like that's often sort of how it's presented is like, because, and oftentimes it's someone who has a positive experience with one method. So they're Mm -hmm. like, oh, clearly this is just going to work for everyone. And so it's kind of coming from a good place where they're like, I want to share like this worked for me. So clearly like, here you go. Um, And on the one hand, I think it can bring a lot of uh, misconceptions because then hearing that you could be like, oh, okay, so this is super easy. I know I don't have to really like think about this. It's super intuitive. And then you have, you know, unplanned (laughs) pregnancies and surprises, or there's a lot of shame that comes with that when that Mm -hmm. isn't your experience of like, what am I doing wrong? Like, what, what is wrong with yep. me that I'm doing everything they're doing and they're having this super easy, you know, easy time and I'm all over the place. Um, right. And I've seen that a lot too, where people either it's like, oh, this is like super simple, like 99% effective, like a way better option. Or it's like, <laughs> this isn't yeah. working. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of this, I don't know what it is with us women, this whole, like this thing, like compare and despair. If I'm not, if I'm not exactly looking like her, well, then that makes me wrong. It's like, no, it makes you, you and you are different. And that is neither bad nor good. It's just different. I've been thinking about this a lot lately that whenever we think about differences, we put it on a hierarchy. There is no hierarchy. We're just different. You know, like apples and oranges are are not in a hierarchy. They're different. They provide different nutrients, right? Like, and they're both good, but they're both good at different things. And that doesn't make one better than the other. It might make one better than the other at different times for different reasons, right? Okay, I'm done with that analogy. But we do that with ourselves and comparing ourselves to other women. And especially with this area of fertility, and this was something that I experienced and Mary experienced too, in our conversations with each other, we, we kind of pulled this out, that you, when you talk about your fertility, you're talking about the most intimate part of yourself, right? Something that is so integral to every part of who you are, your personality, your moods. I mean, fertility affects everything, right? I mean, um, Megan, you know, like you have a six month old, your life is not the same. The way that you interact with people is forever materially changed. And that's not a bad thing, but that's the reality that this is how powerful our fertility is. So it makes perfect sense that when you find a method that helps you understand that part of yourself, that, that doesn't hurt you or harm you, right. 
Um, it's the greatest thing ever. And everybody needs this, right? Um, but that's the mistake that we make is that, okay, this worked for me in this particular time and place that doesn't automatically make it the definitive best. And I say that as somebody who made that mistake of thinking like, oh yes, Marquette is definitely the best method because Symptothermal let me down, Creighton let me down, Marquette, Marquette's got me, you know? So therefore it's the best one. And then I, I meet other women who use other methods and love them. And when they tell me the reason, I'm like, that is literally the reason why I would hate that method, you know? <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, uh, I hear like women who like billings and it's, it's, um, vulvar sensation that they're tuning into. I'm like, that would drive me nuts, but they love it. They, these women, they love being so in tune with their bodies that they actually describe their, like, that is why they love this method. And I'm like, great. Power to you. I'm going to stick with my computer, <laughs> you know, um, but recognizing that, that that is what it is. And it's touching that intimate part of ourselves. Um, so, yeah. And, and just kind of having a willingness. And I think that this is something that you guys are trying to highlight here. The fact that you are Protestant and Catholic and having these conversations is that it is about going outside yourself and, and, and he, having the willingness to hear other people's experiences rather than just imposing mine on them. Right. We all, we all do it. We all do it. It's just having the awareness that, okay, pausing and saying, okay, I'm not this person. What is right for them? And then remembering that that's how God loves us. Right. Yeah. He gives us free will. He loves us individually. He didn't make us the same. You know, like I always think about, you know, when you talk about pro-life rhetoric, quick tangent, um, part of the reason why we're pro-life is because we're all unique and unrepeatable, right? And then all of a sudden we get to these different points in our life with our fertility. Okay, get on birth control. I'm sorry, what happened to unique and unrepeatable? You get married and you're supposed to do marriage a certain way. What happened to unique and unrepeatable? You have kids, you know, you're supposed to be a certain type of parent. What happened to unique and unrepeatable? You know, like really that, that really, when you, when you look at Christianity, when you look at the gospel of love, it's a framework. And then within that framework, within those boundaries, there is limitless possibility, you know, and really figuring out that flow for no pun intended for ourselves. Um, <laughs> uh, that's, that's the hard part and allowing other people to be different. I think that that's an area that we struggle with, especially in this day and age where we are so polarized for so many different reasons. Um, really having enough respect for loving people as God loves them to let them be different and to see those differences as beautiful and good and celebrate them anyway. Okay. Let's get back to <laughs> not only are we different from each other, but like you were saying, you're different throughout your life. I mean, mm -hmm. I even look back like my period now. Well, I don't even have a period because I'm still postpartum, but has been so different <laughs> throughout my life from like when I was, what, 13 and it first mm -hmm. started happening. So why mm -hmm. would I expect my fertility to be the same now yeah. in, in my 20s than when I was in high school? Yeah. And I think that that's that's one of the real birth control mentalities is that, you know, we do think, oh, well, periods or cycles are supposed to be 28 days. I, I think the, the actual percentage, I forget what it is, but it, it's insanely low. The actual percentage, percentage of women who have 28 day cycles is below 20%. Yeah. Like it's nuts, you know? So, I mean, like the fact that this is seen as like, it's taken for granted as the ideal or the norm is preposterous. It's completely preposterous. Yeah. 
Yeah. I love that you talk about how like different methods can work for different women. I, I remember I, I have a women's group. I'm the, le- the lead of a women's group and we have a couple of women that are married. Um, but even me as someone that's never practiced NFP, I'm like, no, I think Marquette's the best. Like before I found your podcast and like, because that's what sounded best to me because I don't, I have an irregular cycle that's all over the place and there's no way I could ever read like my mucus or do billings where you feel there's just no way that I just, I already know when I start, I'm never going to, I'm not going to try Creighton. <laughs> um, so my friends that tried Creighton and they were very, never say never, never, never say never. That's true. <laughs> maybe, maybe once I get, if I, you know, I'm going to a doctor soon, hopefully if I get everything, you know, on track, but it just, to me, it sounds terrifying. I'm like, I want Marquette. I want a computer to tell me. I don't want to have to guess. No, thanks. Um, but I have friends that use Creighton and they'd be like, no, Creighton's definitely the best. Like It's what, and it works great for them. They're actually using it in their marriage mm-hmm. and they can read their body very well. They know when they're ovulating, they know they can tell where they are in their cycle. Um, and so, yeah, when I discovered your page, I was like, oh, well, yeah, obviously like different things work for different people and their bodies and at different times in their lives. Like I, I hear that you would know and Megan that postpartum is an entirely different thing than when you're trying to do NFP any other time. And I, I don't know if I look forward to that, um, God willing. But yeah, I just, I loved, I don't know. I love that because I think especially in social media, I mean, there's and you mentioned this, there's always just this one way to do something. And that's the right way when it comes to childbirth, pregnancy, NFP, dating relationships. Um, and it's, that's just not how it is. So, um, yeah, if you're struggling or feeling like there's one way to do things because of what you're seeing on social media, it's okay. Like take a breath. (laughs) Yeah. It's not always, Yeah. yeah, the way that it has to be. Um, Yeah. And it's, I, I, again, like going back to this idea that like, when we find what works for us, there is this good desire, this good impulse to say, I have figured out something that works. Now everybody else can do it. And that's the mistake because we're all different. And, and this is what I've been talking about. Like when we put, when we put things on a hierarchy, um, like you kind of talked about birth and pregnancy. Like when I started talking about my C-sections and birth trauma and so on and so forth, I was shocked at the number of women who went into my DMs who had vaginal births, home births, hospital births. And they were like, I, I experienced trauma too. And I don't feel like I can talk about it because I gave birth the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, so, I mean, whenever we create these narratives, we're not just doing harm to women who don't fit that narrative. We're fitting, we're doing it to women who fit the narrative, but had a totally different experience. Um, and, and really what it is with, with all of this stuff that deals with fertility, it is so complex. And I think what we as women need, we need the space and the permission to say the truth of our experience and to have the space to process it, whatever it is whatever it is, like, that is the key, you know, figuring out the right method for you, figuring out, you know, again, none of our bodies are the same in the sense that, okay, we all have uteruses and ovaries for the most part, even that's not always the same. Um, but we, you know, because we have different genetic backgrounds, we have, we've had different life experiences, all of these things, if we really understand like a theology of the body and that the body is a language, and that we are unique and unrepeatable, then the way that we express and live our faith and, and the root in, you know, our, our biology and, and, and the way that that comes out and is expressed is going to be different. And as, I don't know, some of it, it, it feels a little bit high school where we're all trying to be the same person. 
I'm like, y'all, we adults, we're in our thirties now, (laughs) (laughs) our twenties, whatever, like late twenties. It's, it's okay to be your own person. This is good. Like this is, we're, we're not trying to shoehorn ourselves into some, some ideal that somebody decided of, you know, wearing dresses and homeschooling and homesteading and and doing home births, whatever. There's all sorts of reasons why that's not going to work for everybody. It's great that it works for you. And I think that part of it is, is this fear of, I know with Catholic circles, sorry, I'm getting a little theological for a second. Um, Within Catholic circles, there's this fear of moral relativism right? I know Pope Benedict XVI, he talked about this a lot, like pointing out the drawbacks of moral relativism. And I think that one of the mistakes people make is that, okay, well, the world exists in black and white. Mm. Truth exists in black and white. The way that it is applied and lived in the world is very gray, (laughs) very gray. And again, you know, it's, it's having that framework of, okay, here's the goal of marriage. Here's the goal of parenthood, how you achieve those goals is going to be different, right? And that that's okay. And providing that space to figure that out. That's the whole point of life. Could you imagine how bored God would be if we were all the same? If he was just looking down and be like, oh my gosh, you guys are robots. I mean, think about it. Every dystopian movie, like like post-apocalyptic dystopian movie, what's the hallmark? Everybody's the same. That's a post-apocalyptic dystopia. Okay, we don't want that. We don't want everybody to be wearing dresses, living on homesteads and homeschooling. Okay. Dystopia. <laughs> anyway, that just popped in my head. I was like, Ooh, we don't want that. We don't want that. Yeah. And, and we, can, like, <laughs> we can look at someone who is much different than us, who is choosing different lifestyle and see that it is working for them and celebrate that and uh-huh. like encourage them and you know cheer them on while also not feeling like guilty or shameful for yeah. the fact that we're very different like right. we, the, both of those can exist both and both and like look I'm gonna be hitting up those skirt wearing homesteaders whenever the apocalypse does come and be like <laughs> I need some I need some cucumbers okay can I <laughs> I need some eggs help me out um yes we need those people um and and yeah, it's, it's holding, holding both the beauty of those who choose that lifestyle because it is good for them and holding the beauty of how my life is also different Just, and it's and beautiful and good because of that fact. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to all of that. <laughs> yeah. um, so we kind of have talked about some of the misconceptions that Catholics have in the Catholic circle about NFP, but what are some misconceptions that you've encountered that the secular world has about NFP? I definitely could name a few. <laughs> I've got, yeah, there's a, there's a list. Of course, you kind of already mentioned it that, you know, NFP is synonymous with being pregnant, um, yeah. which was funny because Megan, you'll appreciate this. Um, when I was working in the evangelical office and I got married, I was so high on my horse. I was like, I'm going to show all of these horrible evangelicals that you can just use NFP and avoid and, and have a baby when you want and show them that they're all heathens for using birth control. And then God was like, here is a child three months into marriage. And I was like, okay, I needed to be knocked down. Thank you. Um, wish there could have been a different way, but thank you. Um, she's almost six and she's beautiful and I love her. Um, yeah, it's, I totally just blanked on the question. <laughs> oh. This is the problem with 
having good. three kids, you get on a tangent and then you're like, wait a minute, where was I going with this? Can you ask the question again? <laughs> yes. Um, just some of the misconceptions that the secular world has about NFP. Yeah. Um, so the, some of the narratives that I encounter, I think, um, women are too dumb to understand their cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you can get pregnant at any time of the month. Um, which is, you know, it's basically a lot of misconceptions about cycles. Like PMS is normal. No, it's not. Um, you know, the, the idea that the sex that is fertile for the least amount of time is the one that is responsible for chemically sterilizing herself is just absolutely mind boggling to me, um, that we have accepted that not saying that men need hormonal birth control, but like the, they're fertile all the time, (laughs) literally. And we are fertile for like max 48 hours out of any given cycle, but we're expected to chemically sterilize ourselves. So this is just the baseline, except like, this is just what we accept, like, and that you're ridiculous if you don't do that. Um, there's a lot of gaslighting around birth control use, you know, when you experience panic attacks and anxiety and depression and you go to your doctor and they're like, Oh, I'll just put you on an antidepressant. You're fine. No, it's my birth control. It's this pill that you've put me on so that, you know, that's going to regulate my cycle, but it doesn't. Um, so I think it's, it, it's really, it's the misconceptions about NFP and fertility awareness, I think are rooted in this idea that it, it, that like basically the birth control mentality that women just get on this pill. You have a 28 day cycle, quote unquote, which it's not a cycle because you're not ovulating. Um, you have sex whenever you want without making a baby. Um, you're just supposed to deal with these side effects. These are normal. Um, PMS is normal, you know, just a, a general normalization of things that are not normal, that are destructive. Um, and, so viewing NFP through that lens as this very countercultural thing and therefore is weird and, you know, just kind of like this Catholic that it's oppressive, um, you know, that, oh my gosh, you're telling me that women have to abstain. Yeah. And the men do too. <laughs> I, you know, like, I just, I don't understand how this is not championed as like the peak feminist ideal, um, that yes, I actually do expect my male partner to bear the burden of fertility with me since he's the one who's fertile all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are going to make these decisions together. Um, and that that's, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that makes sense. I know I'm kind of going all over the place, but I think it's just, it's it, fundamentally, it is this disregard and denigration of womanhood. I think that's what it is. Is that what it means to be a woman, what it means to be different at different points over the course of a cycle. Oh, well, that's that again, this is another area where the differences become hierarchical. It's that we're not men. And apparently that's bad, you know, so we're going to give you this pill so that you can be a man, be like a man so that you can be the same every day. It's like, well, that's not how God designed us. He designed us to have these monthly cycles where we do actually have this cyclical flow of moods and needs and all of this. And yes, it's different than men. 
And that's not bad. Like when you go back to Genesis, Adam and Eve were equal before God, before the fall, that it was after the fall that what did God tell Eve? Your desire will be for your husband and he will lord it over you. Lord it over you. This, this domination over women is a product of the fall and birth control is very much a part of that. And NFP is a way to be like, I'm going back to Eden. Thank you very much. Or I'm going to try. <laughs> it's not going to look like that because I'm trying to do it in a fallen world, but it's better than just saying that because I'm not a man, that's bad. We see it everywhere. We, we see it in sports. We see it in work. It's like, no, have a baby and go back to work. Um, no, you're not allowed to, to miss school because you're having painful periods. Get on this pill to make your, to make everything go away. Um, instead of, oh, you're having extremely painful, heavy periods. That's your body telling you that something's wrong. Let's investigate that. No, just, just make it go away entirely. So I think it's just this very dysfunctional view of women that, that puts us in this box where we pursue trying to be like men instead of celebrating the fact that we are not men and that that's on purpose <laughs> and it's good. Yeah, I like a lot of that is maybe the result of yeah. like the sexual revolution. <laughs> a lot yeah. of it is, but I, you know, I think a certain amount of it has always been there again. Like yeah. that was, that was part of the fall. Like your desire will be for your husband. He will lord it over you. So it's, it's always been there, but I think it reached peak at the sexual revolution. Yeah. Yeah. Megan and I, we've talked about just like how women's healthcare is so ignored and so neglected. Like, yeah, girls at 15 years old are just put on birth control if they have heavy periods or irregular periods. Um, and no one wants to say, okay, but wait, what could be going on and do more mm -hmm. tests and actually look at your hormones in the right way and test your you know, hormones on the right day of your cycle and yeah. blah, blah, blah. I'm still dealing with that at, um, 26 years old where people just want to throw me on birth control because my cycles are irregular. And I'm like, okay, I no judgment to women that have gotten on birth control for their health issues, mm -hmm. because a lot of times that's the best thing that's presented to them. And because yeah. of the lack of research in women's no healthcare, <laughs> there's no yep. other option. And like yep. for endometriosis, I don't know if I really know like a great option for women besides like what most doctors will say, you know, is like birth control. And they feel like, I know we had a friend that, um, had really bad endometriosis and she didn't even want to be on birth control, not for moral, moral reasons, not for, uh, yeah. As she thought it was even wrong, but she just didn't want to be on it because uh -huh. she just didn't want to put that in her body. But that was the best option given to her to actually try to like protect her fertility moving forward yeah. so that it wasn't getting worse. Um, yeah. And the sad like, truth yeah, is, yeah, the, the sad truth is it, it was getting worse. Yeah. Like that's, and that's, and that's the, that is the tragedy is that most women who are on birth control are not on birth control with fully informed consent. It is the only option they are given. They are told that it regulates their cycle, that it will protect their fertility. Those are lies. That's not the truth. They're not, they're not again, you know, yeah. In the medical field, we do so much disservice to women. Y'all, I found out that apparently Tylenol, when they did medical studies on Tylenol, they only tested it on men. You know why? Because women have cycles. So we can't test it on women because they're different. And so that'll skew the results. So we're only good. Like, this is how ingrained it is across the board that women's cycles and being different over the month is bad. Okay. Like that, like Tylenol. Okay. Um, 
So that's most just the, medications are most only medications. tested on men mm-hmm. for that reason, for that reason. Mm-hmm. So it, it makes, it, it's really sad because there are other options when you use fertility awareness, then you like, that's the, that's why I hate calling it natural family planning because that's only one aspect of it. And you don't even have to use it for that aspect. It's a basic mm-hmm. understanding of your health. It's learning, like I literally identified thyroid, low functioning thyroid, because I was tracking my cycles, Mm. you know, like I was able to take that information and say, Hey, I'm seeing things that are not normal. I'm experiencing heavy mood swings before my period. Most people would be like, Oh, it's PMS, whatever. Just take it. What is it? Might all, um, no, that's my body telling me something's wrong. So now we have napro which i know is like it can be hard to get it's some not always covered by insurance so on and so forth um fem has a medical component fem is a, a symptohormonal method so they uh use mucus observations and lh strips they have a medical component as well um there's more and more doctors i'm hearing are actually wanting to learn how to read marquette charts if you use the marquette method uh you're learning from somebody who has to be a licensed medical professional Okay. They're most of them are nurses. See, there's this medical component with certain methods where we understand that I can take this information and it becomes a diagnostic tool. Mm. It can help diagnose what is going on. If I take it to the right doctor, who's willing to listen to me. Um, and that's the other component here is arming women with, with the scripts, with the knowledge. Like when you go to your doctor and they say, Oh, you're normal. No, I'm not run these tests. This is what I want. And here's how this is going to go. And most women, because, you know, when we go to the doctor, we're just like, the doctor is going to tell me what's right. And Megan, that's what you experience. You're experiencing cycle issues. Your doctor has the answer. It is birth control. Why question it? You have no reason to question it. You went to the expert. This is what they gave you. Right. And so there's this huge gap in understanding that, no, that's not the only option. There are other options. They're going to be difficult. It's going to be a journey. And again, this comes back to like creating those spaces where there's support when you're going through that, because it is really tough. Um, like my friend who's not Catholic, who is using fertility awareness after she had her second child, her, her hormones went bonkers and it, she did not want to go back on birth control, but fertility awareness and trying to go through all this different testing and all, it was exhausting and it was so hard. Um, and so, yeah, like let women know that there are other options. And also, as you go through this process, I'm here for you. Like, I can talk about this with you. Like, tell me what's going on. I mean, I'm not here to fix you, um, but I just want to be here to support you. You know, ha- having that mentality as we're going through this as well is is hugely important. And I love yeah, that earlier think- you brought up how a misconception is that, you know, NFP is like, not feminist, but it's hugely empowering for women to understand our bodies, to advocate for ourselves, yeah. to to know what is good for ourselves and to not be gaslit and manipulated into doing mm-hmm. things that we actually don't fully understand and are not educated in. Um, I think I think that's actually true empowerment when it comes to yep. femininity in our bodies. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's hard. And that's what I think is the, um, the real crime here is that women are treated as these idiots who can't learn to read their bodies. So we'll just medicate them. It's like, no, I can learn to read my body. Mother Teresa was teaching Creighton to women in, in Calcutta. 
I didn't know okay. that. Yes. Oh. Yes. So the poorest of the poor, okay, were, she was teaching them to use fertility awareness. Okay. This is possible. And for to say anything less is just like, you're a misogynist. <laughs> That's my opinion on it. Yeah. And I think a lot of doctors are not like in medical school are just not even educated about NFP. I They're think not. a lot of the <laughs> misconceptions I've seen is that, well, NFP is just the rhythm method. Mm-hmm. Like there's absolutely no science behind, which honestly, in a lot of like a, a while ago in Catholic circles, that was all that was taught. So that wasn't mm-hmm. great. Um, <laughs> but it's just like, there's no science behind it. It's just yeah. this weird religious thing, especially if you're calling it NFP and not fertility awareness, which mm-hmm. I do think we need to kind of like switch the way that we're talking about it. Um, but yeah, that it's just this weird religious thing that people use and it doesn't actually work. And there's a reason that Catholics have so many kids. Um, (laughs) Couldn't be that they actually wanted that many kids. (laughs) Couldn't be that they knew their fertility so well. They were like, Hey baby, we have sex tonight. We'll make a baby. Let's go. No, that's, that's crazy. Cause who wants more than two kids? Uh, no, I think the the thing that's really rich about the whole rhythm method thing is that, you know, the app natural cycles, which is FDA approved is a glorified version of the rhythm method. They tell you that you can predict ovulation with your temperature. No, you can't. Yeah, I saw that. No, you can't. Uh, your yeah. temperature rises, uh, when progesterone is produced and progesterone is only produced after ovulation. So it is not a predictive biomarker. So the fact that that is FDA approved, they are using the rhythm method to determine your fertile window, which is hysterical. I'm just like, oh, we're, we're getting demonized because we use the rhythm method. Meanwhile, you guys, I know it's all over TikTok um, that like, this is, I mean, they've got great funding. I will give them that, but it's, it's a glorified version of the rhythm method. Anything that tells you it can predict ovulation, rhythm method, anything doesn't matter what it is. FDA approved or not birth control is FDA approved. And we already know about that. <laughs> a lot of yeah, things so, are FDA approved. <laughs> I know, a lot of that I, yeah, I don't think are really great for us. <laughs> Can't no. trust FDA approved. <laughs> um, so actually, so you kind of mentioned it. We wanted to talk more about the organization mm-hmm. that you started. Um, and you describe it on your website as the fertility awareness database where science and real life intersect. NFP for the 21st century, which I think is so needed, as we've talked about, obviously, all of the reasons that we have laid out already. Um, but can you tell us a little bit more in detail about the organization and the purpose of it and mm-hmm. your inspiration to start it? Yeah, well, um, again, Mary and I, we met, um, I think in 2019, we were actually working on a collaborative project with another friend of ours uh, for NFP week during 2020, um, where we were going after the contraceptive mentality, uh, where people say that NF, see, this is, this is where I know NFP is right. Because on the one hand, you have secular people saying that, like, if you use NFP, you'll only be pregnant. And then you have like some super tratty Catholics who were like, NFP is a sin because it's contraceptive. And I'm like, this is how I know it is the truth because we're pissing off everybody um <laughs> don't get me started on the I know. don't don't oh, get me either oh, don't, don't get, get me started. either um <laughs> so you know the fact that like we have these two different narratives from two ends of the spectrum i'm like this is how i know this is right um so <laughs> that so we were going after that that mentality specifically we did this deep dive into church teaching like we were reading canon law and encyclicals like they were going on i mean like deep. Um, and we were using our three very different fertility stories. So me with my two surprises, 
Um, our other friend who she had to use Creighton in order to achieve and sustain pregnancy. And then Mary, who is infertile. Um, and so we're using our three very different stories to talk about why this, this idea that NFP is a contraceptive is completely bunk. Um, and that kind of took off. And I told them, I, I went to them afterwards. I was like, we need to turn this into something. Um, and that eventually became Mary and I starting um, fan base, which we did in October 2020. We became a 501c3 um, because we really want to address this issue of accessibility. You know, like the thing with fertility awareness is like all of us, you don't know about it. And then as soon as you step your foot in the door, you're like, holy geez, there is this entire world, this whole new vocabulary. There's all of these acronyms. I don't know what's happening. What does TTC mean? What, like what's going on? You know, it's just, you're drinking from a fire hose all of a sudden where you didn't even know there, a fire hose existed. Um, and so we wanted to create a website where in an organization where you can get all of this information in an easily accessible, digestible manner, where we go through, we're going to explain all of the different methods. Um, we have a user database where we actually asked, I think we have 80 or 90 different women who have contributed their stories, um, like in a Q&A format. So it's all the same thing. So you can actually get a comparative analysis of different methods in different situations where that can actually help you to choose the, the best method for you. Um, we have a page all about like, what is fertility awareness? What are these biomarkers that we're tracking? What do they, what do they indicate? Um, we talk about like, what is our hormonal birth control? How does it work? Ultimately, at the end of the day, we want women to make fully informed decisions. And like you were talking about Jackie, like we, know, I know women who are on hormonal birth control for health reasons. And for them at this point in their life, it's like, sad but true fact it is the best option for them at this time because their situation is so severe you know they're having like a level of pain and bleeding that is interfering with their life and they don't have these other options but at the same time they're on birth control without fully informed consent they don't know what it's doing to their bodies and so that's ultimately like our thing we want women to make fully informed decisions we're both Catholic, but we are not a Catholic organization because again, the issue of accessibility, this is just good science. This is about giving women the opportunity to understand how the science works um, and to be able to implement it without that barrier of religion. Um, we are open on there that we are Catholic. Um, we actually have a, a page on our website called the Catholic Corner where we do compile Catholic church teaching on sexuality. Um, but ultimately it's like, no, this is just women that uh, information that all women need and all women should at least know exist and not have these barriers um, to entry. And so uh, whether religious or even um, financial, it, so that's why we wanted to be a 501c3. Like we want to be able to make this information free. So, yeah. That's incredible. That's awesome. Such a needed resource. Yeah. I mean, I even think, yeah, just myself so many women like wow it would just be amazing like back in like when I was 14 15 to be able to have resources and education and start learning that then instead of like in premarital <laughs> like right, that's almost too right. late <laughs> it oh it's way too late no this is something um and actually I'm very very lucky to know women all over the country who are very actively trying to, to address this. And we realize we all agree, like this needs to be introduced when girls start their periods. Like this, we need to create, I know somebody in Boston, she's created this incredible program called Cycle Prep. Um, it's a mother daughter program 
where you can go through and it's like, you get like all of the stuff about your cycle, like why fertility is good. Um, and it's amazing. So this is, this is happening. Um, but again, it's just, you don't know about it until you get into it. And then you're just like, holy geez, there's so much. Um, another thing we have on our website, we have um, an external resources page where we actually include um, resources for dietitians and therapists and re restorative reproductive medicine. Um, because once you open the store of fertility awareness, because it is such an integral part of who we are, our fertility is, is both the cause and effect of so many things. Um, it touches on all these different areas and it can bring a lot of things up. Um, I know people who've started therapy because of fertility awareness. I know people who, you know, I mean, yeah, it just, it brings up a lot. And so we also wanted to have this page where like when this stuff comes up and you want to take that next step or you need to take that next step, we have that there for you as well. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I just wish, I wish also at a young age, because I've had irregular cycles and just not having a period for a long time since I was like. 15. It runs in my family. And I've just been given no options. Like even I've made it all the way to 26 years old. I also was never told like, oh, there's actually risks and like it increases your risk of cancer for not getting your cycle this long. Just people being mm -hmm. like, oh, it'll regulate itself or gynecologists or mm -hmm. getting my hormones taken. I've had them taken two different times telling me, oh, well, you don't have PCOS and your hormones are normal. So what do you want us to do? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm not getting a period and it's super irregular and I don't like, yeah, please tell me what's going on and just having right. no idea. Um, yeah. and just not having the information that it was something I needed to even worry about until, yeah, just the past two years, I'm like, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> and actually it's, yeah. you know, it's not just, oh, I'm not getting a period and it's irregular and it'll be hard to track one day. It's like, oh no, this could actually be a health, like a risk and there's something mm -hmm. wrong. Um, yeah. and there's a huge emotional cost when you have yeah. that realization. Yeah. Yeah. And just wishing women had more education in this area and it's still lacking so much just from like doctors like, like I said what they're learning in medical school like I've talked to some of my mm -hmm. friends are in medical school and still the best thing they tell me to do is get on birth control <laughs> they are literally um, told in medical school that yes yeah. birth control is the best option and the fertility awareness or the rhythm method is that it, it that is bunk and they are literally yeah. told that women do not have the intelligence or the ability to to learn their cycles and learn their bodies yeah well I feel like you've already given out some advice, <laughs> but do you have, maybe there's a woman listening right now that is um, in marriage prep and she's about to start be starting NFP or someone that's struggling NFP, which I guess is two different things. But like, what advice do you have for women that are, um, I guess we can start with that are in marriage now and they're really, they're struggling with NFP or can't find the right method or just finding it really difficult. Yeah. Um, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Shame isolates. And that is, that is Satan's playground. We were made for community. Um, and I know it's hard to open up about these things, but we were made by a triune God. Love requires community. Um, and whatever you're going through, I guarantee you, the minute you open up, somebody is going to say me too. And it may not be precisely your story, um, but she will share in that struggle. And I know it, it's scary because a lot of times when we open up about our struggles, people try to fix this. Oh, go read this book. Say this novena. Have you tried this medical intervention? And that shuts us down because we're not seen. We're being pushed away. We receive that as a dismissal. 
And rightly so, because the person, what all that should tell you is the person that you're talking to is afraid. They see you struggling They're They don't want to see you struggling and it's probably bringing up some stuff for them too. And so they just kind of want to distance themselves. Don't lose hope. Don't let that shut you off even more. Have the courage to, to remain open and vulnerable. Do not isolate yourself in shame. It is normal to struggle. You know why? Because we live in a fallen world. We do not live in heaven yet. Struggle is part of our life. Look at Christ's life. He was without sin and he was not exempt from the struggles of this world. At whatever point you are in learning NFP, whether you're pre, whether you're pre-Cana and you're feeling overwhelmed and terrified about what life might hold for you, that's normal because you're talking about the unknown. You have no idea what's coming next. And that's scary. And it's a very healthy response to something that's unknown because it could be something that's painful. It could be something that's hard. And that fear is saying, avoid this because this might hurt. But then have the courage to come back and say, it could also be good. It could also be beautiful. And if it is painful and if it is hard, I don't have to do this alone. If I have my spouse, I have God. What is my relationship with God like? Do I believe that he cares enough about me that I can go to him with these struggles and I can tell him about my fears and that he's not going to dismiss me like other people do, that he is going to hold my heart. Do I have wounds of uh, wounds based on these relationships with other people in my relationship with God? Do I project the way that I'm received by human beings onto God? Is that how I view him? Do I believe that he will receive me, that he loves me, that he cares about my body? He created my body. My body is good. My body is holy. My body is sacred. Do I believe that God sees it that way? And that when I struggle and when I hurt, when there is pain, when there is harm, do I believe that he is suffering, not just with me, but in me? He is suffering as me. He is taking such an intimate part in my suffering. So no matter what you're going through it, no matter what point it's, oh, it's not okay, but don't isolate yourself in shame. That is straight from Satan. That is his playground. That is where he can rip you up one side and down the other. Do not isolate. Find community. Not on Facebook. (laughs) Stay out of the Facebook comment sections, please. I've seen them. They're, oh my gosh, they are brutal. Anyway. Speaking of Facebook, I have Facebook mom groups too. Oh, they're the worst. Gosh, they're the worst. (laughs) I have a friend who uh, just got married and leading up to marriage, she was in this NFP Facebook group and she's in, Mm -hmm. she's in my women's group. So she would come in and tell us like what she saw. And at some point we were like, we don't, this is not good. Like just get out of this Facebook group. It was was a hot mess. Yeah. And also people getting on there and asking very personal questions to people that don't actually know them or their story and like, Mm -hmm. like about their sex lives and random, like just issues they're having. I'm like, this is not the place to ask this, but that's also something social media creates is like seeking out advice from these people that you look up to, or I I don't know, which is not a bad thing trying to find community, but from people that couldn't ever give you the advice that you would need because they don't know you personally or your whole story. (laughs) What that Um, tells me is, and this is where, you know, it just, my heart goes out to them is that they don't have anybody in their real life who they feel like they can talk to. Um, But you know what? I've heard that from enough women that I'm like, at least two of y'all got to know each other. And it just takes one of you to have the courage to bring it up. 
Um, and it does take courage because you're kind of, you're serving your heart up on a platter. And when you do that, your heart can be crushed or your heart can be accepted and you're taking that risk. Um, but yeah, you, some of y'all know each other, just break the ice somehow. Just, I don't know, invite her over for coffee and just, just blurt out cervical mucus and see where it goes from there. I don't know. (laughs) That's what I was going to say too, is like, clearly like, like we all know women who have struggled. Like anytime I bring it up, everybody's like, Oh my gosh, me too. Thank you. Like somebody is just you know, it's almost waiting for the opportunity. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so all it takes is like starting that conversation, mm-hmm. starting to talk about it, and mm-hmm. you will create those spaces. And I think that's why, you know, your space online is so important. Your organization is so important because it has to start those conversations. It has to begin so that people feel that freedom. And that, you know, that safe space to be like, okay, yeah, me too. Like you were saying, the the NFT, me too. Yeah. (laughs) And I I know people balk at the idea of safe spaces because we think college, but no, we need to know that we are safe to share our hearts. Um, That's hugely important. Um, And I I just kind of to tie a bow on a lot of things, um, again, thinking theology of the body, women make space. This is what we do. We literally have an organ inside of us that is empty unless it's filled with life. This is who we are. We make space for new life to happen. And it's not just biological. It's just who we are. So ladies, make some space. It's scary. Yes, creating new life is scary. And it costs something. There's also a little death that goes along with it, right? You don't get new life unless there is a death. This is what Jesus, like he did it on the cross. This is like what he told us the whole time. We make space. It's what we do. We make space. We nurture them. Edith Stein said, a woman's soul is fashioned as a shelter in which other souls may unfold. This is what we do. This is who we are. So do it. It's scary, but oh my gosh, the reward. I cannot tell you when I do this in in my ministry and in my work, the reward. (laughs) I'm going to be one of those people showing up in heaven and God's going to be like, look, you already got the reward. I don't know what else you want from me. Like, (laughs) But do it anyway. It's awesome. It's scary. It's hard. There's going to be times where you're like, I don't want to do this. Mm. But it's who we are. Women make space. It's what we do. Mm. I love that. Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on. This is such a big, big topic. And we could talk for hours and hours. We could and still not scratch the surface. Yeah. So if you are really, if you're interested in hearing more about NFP um, and just hearing more from Emily, she has her own podcast, the Total Wine Podcast, which we can link below. And then also a podcast with your nonprofit um, mm-hmm. fan base. And then of course your website, I, I've been on has so many resources and just, yeah. So if you're interested, we will definitely have those links in the show notes and in uh, the bio. So yeah, but thank you so much for coming on. I yeah, think this podcast, yeah, I think this podcast for women that have been struggling and, you know, maybe haven't found your content before or found the right community I think it will be a relief for them (laughs) and just yeah a lot of women listening and thinking me too (laughs) so the knowledge that we're not alone is sometimes all we need to to keep trudging so yeah yeah, we're not alone (laughs) the minute you start talking you're like oh wow this is everybody okay cool yeah and as you know like that's the heart of our podcast is to talk about it and create and shine light in areas that are often so laced with shame so it's been great to have you on and do that. Uh, we just encourage women uh, that are struggling with this to find the right spaces and to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs>